You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. We are all called to bear a cross, right? Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him pick up his cross, deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. So every one of us, this is one thing that we all have in common as followers of Jesus. There is a cross that we must bear. And what's involved with that cross? Well, it's the giving of ourselves to God and also the giving of ourselves to others. You are called by the Lord to pick up your cross and to follow Him. In today's message from Pastor Mike, he shares with you that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we all have crosses to bear. Being able to bear a cross means that you will have to deny yourself. Pastor Mike explains that there will be times that you will have to forfeit comfort to follow after Him. You will have to give of yourself to the Lord and to others. This can seem overwhelming. But keep looking to the Lord. He will help you. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 as he continues his message, God's Work of Art. I remember what you said. You returned that I might live in my The first characteristic that I want to emphasize this morning was Christ's commitment to his Father. Let me give you a couple of cross-references for this. In John's Gospel, in chapter 6, in verse 38, there we are told, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now this is Jesus speaking. The idea here is that voluntarily submitting himself to the will of God the Father in his great plan of salvation. And this was determined before in the councils of God, before the foundations of the world, the Bible tells us. Now let me ask you this question. What did that commitment cost Jesus? Well, think about it. From birth, they sought to kill him. As an adult, they ridiculed him. They mocked him. The Bible tells us in the Gospel according to Luke, in chapter 9, in verse 58, foxes have holes, birds have nests. But the Son of Man, that is Jesus, has nowhere to lie down his head. And then finally, they got hold of him and scourged him. They tortured him. And then they crucified him. Why? All because of his commitment to God the Father and his plan of redemption for mankind. And at any time, Jesus could have put an end to that horrendous injustice. He he could have called down legions of angels to... Uh, battle to go to battle for him, but he didn't do that. 
I mean, think about that horrendous injustice. We're talking about the killing of God. In John's Gospel in chapter 10, in verses 17 and 18, Jesus said, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down, notice, voluntarily, I lay down my life, that I may take it again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me. So, you know, actually, it would be wrong to suggest, if you think about it, you know, the Jews really get a bad rap. I mean, no doubt that Satan used them uh, as his puppet uh, to bring this whole thing about in one respect. But, you know, if you think about it, this is, all, this is something that, as I've already mentioned, was already determined in the counsels of God before the foundations of the world. This had to happen. Uh, the one who is righteous dying in our place for the unrighteous, right? And uh, so no one takes it from me. He laid it down voluntarily. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. You know, Pontius Pilate was also another fellow who was confused about this whole idea of taking Christ's life from him. And uh, he had, had, Jesus responded to Pilate when Pilate became a little infuriated in, and Jesus refused to answer some of the questions that uh, he was putting to him, that his Pilate was putting to Christ. And uh, he says, don't you know that I have the power to, to either put you to death or to release you? And how did Jesus respond to it? You have no power except that which is given to you by my Father who is in heaven, right? All of this was done voluntarily, you see. This was a part of his commitment. And he never moved. He never flinched from doing the will of the Father, though tempted and weakened. You know, I'm reminded of that portion of Scripture. It's going to also be broadcast up here on the screen. In Matthew's Gospel in chapter 4, in verses 8 through 10. Now, let me set this up for you. Uh, after he was found down in the Jordan River, and what some people refer to as being baptized by John the Baptist, I don't really know if Jesus was baptized because he was sinless. That's what baptism was all about. Uh, I kind of lean more towards, although I could be wrong, people have suggested that Jesus was baptized for the sins of the world, which is a possible explanation of what was going on there. Uh, my personal belief was that that was the beginning of his being consecrated for his priestly ministry, as was true under the Levitical law. They would consecrate the priests at the beginning of their ministries in water. And so, you know, my personal belief, I, I lean more towards that interpretation. And that's what was going on down at the Jordan River when he was baptized by uh, John the Baptist. But immediately following, what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that he was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness, and he fasted there for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was tempted by the devil. Three times he was tempted by the devil. And the last temptation was probably the most subtle and the most powerful. And now we pick up there in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 4 and verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. In verse 9. And he said to them, all these things I will give you. Now this is interesting. Could he possibly have given? I mean, did he actually... Uh, was he over all of these kingdoms? Did he possess these kingdoms? And could he actually offer them to Jesus Christ? I don't know. That's a good question. That's a, a question that I really can't answer, that no one can really answer. Uh, but we do know that the Bible tells us that he is the prince of this world, right? 
So it is possible. I mean, if you think about it, he's in control of all of the things that are going on in the world today. Uh, you know, what will be gained after the church is raptured and just prior to the seven years of tribulation beginning when the title deed to earth, which is that scroll that's handed to Jesus there in heaven, I believe that that title deed to earth was lost in the Garden of Eden through Adam and Eve's disobedience. So he's going to once again be able to gain what was lost through sin and disobedience. But at this particular time, this powerful temptation. And remember, that was some of the the reason why Jesus came into this world, to redeem the world back unto God the Father. So if you think about it, then in context, Satan was offering him an alternative an easier way to go. You don't have to go the way of the cross to redeem the world unto yourself. I'll just make it available to you. Let's do nice and nice here. We'll make it the easy way. Have you ever thought of it in context of that way? So this is probably the most subtle of the three temptations, the most powerful of all. Anyway, and he said to him, all these things I will give you, and remember, now he's showing him the kingdoms of the world if you will fall down and worship me. Verse 10, And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, and again going back to the commitment that Jesus had to the Father, you shall worship the Lord God, and him only you shall serve. And so what is commitment? What kind of commitment are we talking about here? Well, yes, it's listening to the voice of God, yielding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? If you think about it, that may vary from one person to another because your calling may be different from another person's calling. Like, for example, uh, my calling is a pastoral calling, and I've been commissioned to do that. Your calling might be a Christian businessman or a Christian businesswoman or a mother raising her child in her home. Our our callings and elections are are different. The offices that we hold that God has called us to. But we're all, as far as it relates to our commitment to the Father, we are all called to bear a cross, right? Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, let him pick up his cross, deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. So every one of us, this is one thing that we all have in common as followers of Jesus. There is a cross that we must bear. And what's involved with that cross? Well, it's the giving of ourselves to God and also the giving of ourselves to others. Folks, that's biblical commitment. That's the commitment that's being recommended to us uh, here. Now, that's, so that's the first characteristic. So if you want to know what God is looking to, to do in and through your life, it's that same commitment that Jesus gave to his Father. That's what, Je- that's what God is, is looking to reproduce in and through your life as well. Then the second characteristic that I want to emphasize is love, right? Is love. And that word love in the New Testament is the Greek word. It's derived from, it's translated from the Greek word agape. And that word agape is a word that defines the, the, the fervent, the divine fervent love of God. Now, I want you to know something. That Greek word agape is not a classical Greek word. In fact, it was coined for New Testament 
use. It, 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 it wasn't even in existence before the New Testament dispensation. So it was coined for the New Testament usage and it is described for us in the book of Galatians in chapter 5 in verses 22 and 23. And, uh, and the list that is recorded there describes that love. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Okay, now, that's it, period. And I know that some people, when they say, well, what is the fruit of the Spirit? They say, well, it's all of these things. It's love, joy. No, there's only one fruit of the Spirit. And, and again, you know, this is my, I, I could be wrong, all right? I'll put it out there. I don't believe that I'm wrong. And I think that there are many uh, reliable Bible teachers who hold to this view, that there's only one fruit of the Spirit, and that is love. But because of the fact that that word love is not a classical Greek word, Paul, who is the writer of the book of Galatians, goes on and uses these words that follow the word love to describe so that there wouldn't be any misunderstanding of what this love looks like, you see. So what does agape love look like? Well, it is revealed in joy. That's the effect that it's going to have if you possess it. It's peace. It's long-suffering. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness, verse 23. It's gentleness. It's self-control. And against such, there is no law. Okay, so again, but you know what? Of all of the words that describe that one word, which is the fruit of the Spirit, love, I think the word joy sums it up quite well, and it fits perfectly in the point that I'm trying to make here. In the book of Hebrews, for example, here's another cross-reference for you. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, in verse 2, we are told there, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, you've heard it said, it wasn't the spikes in his hands and his feet that held Jesus to the cross, but rather it was his love for you. So do you see how the words are used interchangeably there? For it was, it was, the, it was the joy that was set before him. It was Christ's love for us that enabled him to go to the cross and die in our place there upon that cross. So this love is exemplified in all of these other words uh, in his compassion uh, if you continue to go through that list there in the book of Galatians, uh, is exemplified in his compassion for the lost, the underdog, his dealing with people, his servitude, and his love for his Father. And so let's go back now to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Let's read it one more time. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, so, what he is through us to the world. That's, that's what he is looking to accomplish in and through our lives. Now, this brings us to our fourth and our last point this morning, and that is a life-like portrait. So if you're taking notes, write this down. This is our fourth and our final point this morning, and that is a life-like portrait. Now, uh, the little that I do know about artists is this. Artists are extremely temperamental. Have you ever been around an artist before? They are extremely temperamental. And they don't like to be misunderstood or misinterpreted 
in their art. So, let me ask you a couple of questions. How is Christ being portrayed through you? Are you committed to the will of the Father? Are you concerned about others? We've already established those two facts, haven't we? Right? And God doesn't like to be misrepresented by any of us as well. You know, we, we've taken the name of Christ. What does that mean? Well, you know, that means that I go to church on Sunday. No, it means that you're a Christian. You know, you're, you're conveying Christ to the world. I mean, think about this. If every Christian behaved exactly like you do, loved God as deeply as you do, served God as fervently as you do, gave of themselves as diligently as you do, would he be glorified in your actions? What would the church look like today? Would the church today have to begin to cancel its prayer and Bible study meetings for lack of attendance? How many of today's church outreaches would have to be canceled for lack of interest or a lack of financial support? Listen, these are serious questions. So, okay, at this point, and listen, I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty, right? Uh, or uncomfortable. That's not my intention. But if the shoe fits, gang, you know. But these are serious questions. But it's at this point I realize that I failed. But listen, there's still hope for me. There's still hope for you. That that is, as I continue to abide in Christ, my life becomes more and more fruitful. It's a part of a process. God isn't finished with any of us presently. In John's Gospel in chapter 15 and verse 5, You know, the vine and the branch chapter, you're familiar with it, right? Jesus said, I am the vine. He uses this as an example. It's an analogy, a metaphor. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So we need to be stuck into that vine who is Christ. If you're expecting to be fruitful, we need to stay very close to Christ, right? So as I continue to abide in Him, my life, quite naturally, it's just the result. It it just happens. It's just the effect becomes more and more fruitful. And what do you know? Christ is being reflected through me. 2 Corinthians in chapter 3, in verse 18, is a cross-reference for you. But we all with open face, beholding him as in a glass or a mirror would be a more accurate translation, the glory of the Lord are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That is, with each stroke of the brush, right? He's gotten hold of you. You're his canvas. And with each stroke of the brush, more and more you're becoming like Jesus Christ. And it happens, you know what, in a service like this, as God's word goes forward and you see Christ for who he really is. It's sort of like we're looking at ourselves in a mirror, in the gospel mirror, if you will. And it has a transforming effect within our lives, doesn't it? We're being regenerated by God's Holy Spirit. God's doing that work. I think some of the most powerful work that God does is through the teaching of the Word of God, which should be no surprise to you, because I'm always harping on that. But we need to keep ourselves in that place. We continue to... never going to become that final work 
that God wants to do in your life. You know, you're still a lump of clay. You might think you're all that. You might think you're some precious piece of art that should be hung in the Metropolitan Museum of Art. But the truth of the matter is, guess what? You're still a worthless lump of clay until God's gotten a hold of you. Yeah, there might be some good things about you. You're providing for your family. You're a contributing member to society. You throw a couple of bucks in the offering plate when it's passed around or whatever. And occasionally you'll attend a midweek service. God help us, you know, or whatever. And, uh, and for you, that becomes your standard of righteousness. But the truth of the matter is until God gets a hold of you and transforms that worthless lump of clay into that priceless work of art, the truth of the matter is we are nothing. It's true. We are nothing. We owe it all to him. Gang, listen to me. Look up into the wonderful, wonderful face of Jesus. And as you behold him, he will transform you into his likeness. And yes, this is a lifelong process, as I've already mentioned, but we will be perfected one day in heaven. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Can you pull that up? I, didn't get, I, I, I don't have it here in my notes. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. It says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it is not yet revealed what we shall be. But we know when he is revealed, that is when Christ comes back for us, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Paul tells us in the book of Philippians in chapter 3 and verse 21, that he shall change our vile body, that is this body of sin in which dwells no good thing, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Listen. As we live in contemplation of our Lord, He imparts to our life sweetness and loveliness of His character. Reflecting His glory, we are transformed into His likeness, taking, as I mentioned before, that worthless lump of clay and transforming it into a priceless work of art. Gang, remember this. This is what we need to take away from this message. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Worship team, would you come on back up here? And so may God help us to yield ourselves to the hand of the potter, the master artist, our Savior, Christ, and allow him to mold us and shape us, that our life, you know, our life, until it becomes a priceless work of art. His masterpiece. Won't we give ourselves to that work? Right? Don't you want God to get hold of us and make our lives meaningful with, and give us purpose? Right? There's so much more to life than what this world has to offer that is in and through Jesus Christ. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Thanks for joining us. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House. Be sure to subscribe and let us know you're a listener in the comments. 
If you don't have a church that you call home, we'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live-streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to hear today's message again or to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us. We look forward to our continuing study of Ephesians next time, right here on In My Father's House. Where I long to be, oh my heart, not be troubled. I remember what you said.